0: This morning, we're uh, nearing the end of this series on worship, uh, the various ways in which we uh, relate to and connect with who God is and and how he informs who we are uh, as people made in his image, uh, as creatures whose greatest joy and desire is to worship and to be with him and to know him. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 130, thinking about deep down ...kinds of worship. On the cover of the book that many of us have been reading... ...Emotionally Healthy Spirituality... ...there is a picture of an iceberg. And it's not just there because it looks pretty... ...but because the author uses it as a kind of metaphor... ...throughout the book. And we've all heard this before, right? But we know that an iceberg... ...only about 10% of the iceberg sits visibly above the water. And that means the other 90%, the vast majority of an iceberg is submerged in the icy waters below. And the author says if we were to map out that kind of image onto who we are as human beings, we would we would see an analog that there is this little part of who we are that's sort of neatly perched above the waters. It's it's visible, it's accessible, ...probably feels, you know, somewhat under control. We understand it. But then there's a, a much bigger part of what I think... ...what I feel, what I wonder about, what I struggle with... ...that's more like that other 90%. Right, there's these layers to who I am. And they may have been formed through all sorts of personal experiences. They may have been formed through great achievements and successes... Part of those deep down layers may have been formed through failures or disappointments. They might include doubts that have crept into who we are, and and longings and hopes and desires that we have. But but altogether, those things add up to a a pretty big part of of my identity, of of who I am as someone made in God's image. The challenge, though, is that those things, again, are, are deeper down. Because they're deeper down in us, they're harder not just to see for other people, but they're even harder for us to know how to access, how to speak about, how to even think about clearly. But I think if we take seriously our biblical theology, what it means to be made in the image of God, we weren't meant to to be creatures who just worship God with this little tiny 10% of who we are that we put out there, or that we understand fully. But God has created all of us in his image. All of who I am to know him. And that means all of who we are is meant to worship him as well. The heights as well as the depths. In the Middle Ages, as the, the Bible was being translated into Latin, they gave headings to many of the sections of Scripture and the Psalms. And above Psalm 130, the title De Profundis was placed. Again, it's taken from verse 1 of the text, but it means from the depths, out of the deep places. De Profundis. And this morning, I want to read through that Psalm together with you. And I want us to notice how it's, it's a, a piece, a, an evidence, an example of worship. ...that begins in those deep down places. That's where it starts. But it doesn't finish there. Like, like so many of the Psalms... ...like so many of, of the stories in Scripture... There's, ...there's movement that takes place in this Psalm. Moves our attention upward over those eight verses... Today I want to do something just a little different. After I share a, a briefer time of, of teaching... ...and kind of exploration of this passage... ...we'll take our offering... ...and then I'd like to open up uh, some time for us to respond... Um, ...to cry out as the psalmist does here... ...in worship, um, to receive prayer... ...if that's if that's an area that you would, would be blessed... ...and encouraged by this morning. So after after our time of teaching, after the offering... Then the worship team is going to come back up for a few more songs. And we're just going to to sort of meditate on this scripture passage, have a chance to to speak and sing to the Lord, and again also, let me encourage you, if if you feel like the Lord is is touching on something, um, to consider receiving prayer this morning from uh, another brother or sister uh, in our congregation. If you turn with me then to Psalm 130, let me pray for us as we look at God's word. Lord, I I just thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of the psalms, and the honesty that's there. It's not pretending going on. There's not just a a 10% part of who we are represented. But there's an attempt to worship you uh, with everything. Pray as we would look at your word this morning that we would also be given permission and encouragement And even your spirit's insight and in revelation and wisdom to respond from the depths of who we are. Lord, I pray as I teach, may the words of my mouth, may the movements and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is Psalm one thirty. Let's start with the first four verses. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Lord, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence... ...serve you. Verse 1... ...has this great... ...sort of guttural cry... ...of the psalmist. Two or three mornings a week... ...as I'm in the kitchen of our, our little house... ...beginning to put breakfast on the table... ...the sun's still coming up... ...several days every week... ...I hear a cry come from down the hallway... ...from one of the kids' bedrooms... ...about 7 o'clock, usually. And it sounds something like this. Mom! Mom! I want mom! Get in here. And it's our five-year-old. Before she's even fully conscious... ...she has this habit of calling out... ...from the deep places of who she is. From whatever she's just been... ...feeling or thinking or dreaming... She's still waking up, but in that first moment of her day, she instinctively knows she wants, she needs someone to be close to her, and she's not afraid to say so. <laughs> now, I'm grateful that not everyone in our house wakes up like this. It could be a bit tricky, but I could probably learn something from my daughter's sort of raw acknowledgement of where I need help, of where I need help presence, and support, to to cry out to God from where I'm at. The uh, great Scottish theologian, P.T. Forsyth, says this. He says, God is deeper than the depths of man. And he says, so too, God is holier than our deepest sin is deep. ...says that our problem is not with with the depth, the breadth, the bigness of God... ...and his ability to to meet us where we are... ...even in those deep places. Our problem is that too often we forget... ...or we assume that that he would desire to be in that place with us. And because of that assumption then we don't cry out. We don't speak. We, We choose to believe we're alone. Yesterday, I uh, attended a suicide prevention workshop over at Catalyst Church. And they said, one, one of the things that, that makes dealing with this particular issue of, of desperation right, and, and suicidal thinking so difficult to deal with is people won't talk about it. Right? People won't cry out. People won't ask for help because of the stigma associated with that. But what if we believed and knew that our God even encompasses the depths, sinking places. P.T. Forsyth challenges us. He says, think more of the depth of God than of the depths of your cry. Believe he is deeper. Believe who he is is bigger than whatever you find yourself in. So here in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist breaks his ...silence, breaks that sense of being alone... ...and he does that by choosing to cry out. Right, to hear him from the depths. He asks God to, to notice where he's at. And he asks God to, to show up there. To do something. Where in the deep down of who you are... ...do you need to cry out... Where in the deep down of who you are do you perhaps feel stuck or discouraged or or desperate in some way? Maybe you couldn't even quite give language to to what that is this morning. But maybe you just need the permission to to set aside sort of religious decorum for a moment and to believe that you can be honest. You can ask God. You can speak to God. You could cry out to Him and say, Lord, I, I need strength. I need the ability to meet with you in the deep places of who I am. I need life. I need help. I need hope. But as you look at the psalm here, in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist cries out. But as he's crying out from that place of of deep darkness, that crying then enables him to start remembering in verses 3 and 4. And he remembers one particular aspect of God's character. That he is a God of mercy. That he is a God of forgiveness. And he says in verse 3, Lord, if, if you looked squarely at who I am, if you, if you dealt with me exactly on the terms of, of what I've done in my own brokenness, Lord, who could stand? Right? I would have to hide myself away from you. I wouldn't be able to tolerate you, you looking upon me. But he says in verse 4, I remember, I know that with you is forgiveness. I know that when I come to you in the deep down places, as, as I throw myself upon your mercy, as I put my face down on the ground before you, I can be confident of your promise to meet me. Right? I, I'm not able to stand, but I know that you will, will come down and, and bend your attention to show me kindness. This is where we, we meet God, in the depths of who we are, in the crying out of those deep places, in, in the humble state of worship, right? as people bow down, asking for mercy. And if we're not able or or willing to go there and worship, then we we miss the great gift of God's compassion and loving kindness and repentance. And from that place we see then this this psalm begins to turn. This is the pivot point. Because in verses 5 and following, instead of of crying out from the depths, now things begin to move upward. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. This is why. Put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He will redeem Israel from all their sins. This psalm, Psalm 130, is part of a collection of 15 psalms there in in this part of the book. And they're called the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms that move upward. And they're called that at least in part because they were literally songs that the pilgrims of Israel sang... ...as they moved from the low country, the, the low places of, of elevation in the country... ...and they came up into the hill country of Judea. Right, they would sing, they would, 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 would chant sort of these songs as pilgrims... ...on their way up to the temple for worship. And we could, we could picture as their feet began to climb upward... ...to these higher places. Right? So too, their gaze would then be moved upward as well. And they would begin to look out on the horizon... ...because they would see Jerusalem... ...and eventually they would see the temple ahead. And so verses 5, 6, and 7 here... ...they, they, they name two practices that help us do that very thing. As we cry out from the depths... There's, ...there are two things that then also begin to help train our gaze upward... And fix our attention on, on where God is and who he is and what he's like. And they're the, the inseparable practices of waiting and hoping. Right? They, they, they're deeply kind of bound up together. And they are incredible gifts to anyone who is calling out from the depths. Learning to wait and to hope in the Lord. Back when I was in seminary, I used to often wake, you know, long before the sun came up to write my papers and do my assignments. And at that time, we lived next to this high-rise building of apartments. It was next door to us. It was full of student apartments. But up on the top floor, there was a study lounge that had been converted right, at the penthouse of the building. And I would spend long hours, hundreds of hours there over the time I was in seminary studying and writing papers, right? 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. But one of the things that got me through those years and what gave me hope was what happened every morning around 6.30, 7 o'clock. The the windows of this this big study lounge, which were pitch black, would slowly begin to illuminate. And they would reveal this glimmer of sun coming up over the Canadian coastal mountains in the east. And then that sun, as it rose high enough, would begin to hit the water of the Pacific Ocean to the west. Right? And it was this spectacular, it was this serene gift of dawn right, for someone who had worked and waited through the night. Right? it always came as this gift. The psalmist says, though, more than a tired student waits for the sunrise, waits to finish that paper. More than a, a watchman who stands guard through the night waits for the dawn. psalmist says, more than those things... ...we are people who long for and wait for the Lord to reveal himself. We hope in the Lord to show up in the depths, in the darkness... And in verse 7, we're told that when he does, right, it's a certain promise. That as we hope in the Lord, he will come. And he will come as a, as a sunrise that reveals his unfailing love and his abundant redemption. Verse 7 claims that as a certainty. As certain as the morning will follow the night. We know that this is who the Lord is. A friend of mine said to me recently that that the beauty of the gospel is sort of bound up for him in, in two things. The first is that we have this incredible God to worship as the object of our devotion. The beauty of the gospel is that God is who he is and we get to worship him. We get to look upon him. We can devote ourselves to who he is. Which said, in turn, the second and almost unbelievable, almost unthinkable message of the gospel is that as we make God the object of our devotion, for some reason he chooses to make us the subject of his attention. Right? That this incredible, holy, perfect, beautiful God looks upon us as his people. As the Torah says, his face. ...shine upon His people. And I think hope is is what holds these two things together. Right? Looking out on that horizon. Hope, waiting in hope, trains our eyes to gaze upon God as the one we worship. But it also claims that promise that He looks upon us with His attention. And that He will redeem He will enable all of who we are to worship Him, no matter how deep down those places are. Let me pray for us. We're going to to respond both in the giving of our gifts and also through a time of prayer and, and worship. Let me pray, though. Lord, I just pray in the power of Your Spirit that You might subtly but also clearly unearth the things that that we need to encounter your mercy and forgiveness in. The places where we have been fearful, places of desperation in us. Places, Lord, where you want to work so that we might be released to hope in you in a new way. And Lord, would Power of your word, with the power of your gaze upon your people, break through and redeem us, reclaim us, pull us out of those deep down places. In Jesus' name.